If you want to go to Pep Boys, more power to you, man. That's what we're looking for, more power. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy. Happy Thursday morning. It's the Tropical MBA Podcast. A beautiful fall day here in NYC. I'm joined by the boss man all the way from Austin, Texas. How you doing, good sir? Is it getting cold there yet? It's getting chilly, and I'm I'm ill prepared for such weather. So I'm happy that I've got my return to Bangkok in just a few days. Boss man, today we are at tropicalmba.com/slash getting traction. Our good friend Taylor from last week's episodes mentioned that one of the most fundamental skill sets he's seen across people who are successful are people who have sales skills. And today we're going to talk about getting your first 100 customers. That's it. That's sales skills. If you can get 100 customers, you have sales skills. We're going to talk about that. Plus, we're going to answer a bunch of listener questions, including our thoughts on visiting the U.S. after extended time abroad, fighting the Amazon beast and how to get the most out of events. First off, big shout to the DC NYC community. We had a rooftop last minute meetup. John Reinick and Doug Ewan wanted to meet up. I think 10 other people decided that they wanted to meet those guys too. It was really fun to see some fresh faces. New York City is just a fabulous environment. Interesting, we're gonna to touch on this topic, Ian, but a lot of those DCers are heading to Asia for the winter time. Which community is stronger? Is it Austin or NYC? I would say probably, I don't know. All right, Austin, I'm in Austin. Austin wins. <laughs> I think Austin's strong. Boss man, speaking of communities, we're both going to Bangkok. And did you book your ticket yet? I mean, what's going on, man? Are you coming? To- I'm working on it. You're just like, I'm working on it. it's so typical of our community just to just wait to the last minute. They're going to rush. I heard that people are actually going to Chiang Mai early in order to secure apartments because they're worried about the rush, the post-DC BKK rush. <laughs> it's almost like getting out early for the tailgate Best Buy. You know, that's what it reminds me of. So That's right. You got to get in line at Best Buy <laughs> if you want that new iPhone. You can click on your iPhone or I think Android device now. If you want to click to comment, we've got a link right there on this podcast episode if you want to give us your thoughts or ask us your questions you can also give us a ring at tropicalmba.com slash voicemail we're going to play that bass walk and get into a few of your voicemails right away gentlemen mr dan mr ian i recently had the pleasure of getting to know cody mckibben mike harrington and medellin and I asked them, do you have any advice for a noob like me? How do I make that next step? First thing out of Cody McKibben's mouth was listen to the TNBA podcast. Tropical NBA, baby. I've started to. I can't stop. You guys are awesome. Keep rocking out. The other thing that they said was mastermind group. Join or form a mastermind group. Just did that today. Put one together, and it's a great feeling. Good feeling to be making progress. You guys are in my earbuds. When I'm in a place where I don't have a lot of people that are in that same kind of mindset, keep rocking out. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. 
Hey, thanks so much for that call. And Cody and Mike, thanks for the props, guys. Can't say enough. Sometimes, boss man, us old salty dogs can forget about the pivotal role that those few key relationships play when you're getting started out in the entrepreneurial world. You always see it. You know, someone who gets the crazy idea that they want to quit their career or quit what they've been preparing for for maybe 10 or 15 years or what they've been expecting and take the entrepreneurial route. And you see them trying to explain it to friends and family. <laughs> it's just not the conversation you want to be in. This entrepreneurship thing is definitely a possibility. But if you're spending your time at the dinner table trying to convince people that it's a, a viable path, it's probably not the type of support group that you need. No, I'd say not. All right, we got a question from Ben Perove from WPMotion.co. Hey, Dan and Ian, Ben Perov, longtime listener and practicer of preachings, calling in from Chiang Mai. I just launched a new WordPress plugin, wpmotion.co, and my question for you is this. At this time, the plugin only supports migrations between Bluehost and WP Engine. What do you think is the best way to find this really narrow subset of people who are looking to move their site? Love to hear your thoughts. So first off, this is a cool full circle thing. I mean, Ben is an extremely talented guy, and we dedicated an episode to one of his earlier apps, and then Ben came to the Tropical MBA seminars in the summer of 2012, started the internetmovingcompany.co, where he helped people move sites around, which is a problem, and now he's built a plugin that does it automatically. And if you watch the video on the site, it's incredibly seamless. It's almost difficult to believe. Like, really? You just moved a site from one to the whole other? Like, everything from SSL certifications, databases, it changes your A records and everything. That's pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, very cool product, Ben. So your question is, what's the best way to find people in this narrow niche? Yeah, so Ben, what I'm going to do with you is share with you my copy of Gabriel Weinberg's Traction. And we'll have the Amazon link on this episode. It's tropicalmba.com slash getting traction. Ian, a couple of weeks ago, we had Gabriel on the show. We don't really talk about his book so much. We talked about Google and search and stuff. But he just came out with a book, and it's really relevant to what Ben's talking about is getting traction, getting your first 100 customers. And I like the approach that he lays out in the book. So let's talk about it from his approach. It's called the bullseye framework. Essentially, there's 19 paths of traction that Gabriel identifies in this book. A lot of the ones that startup founders and hustlers like us would readily recognize, like PPC, SEO, viral marketing, all these kinds of things. But what Gabriel's thesis is, is that founders tend to over-focus on certain channels, like, say, SEO, and forget about ones that can be hugely profitable, like trade shows. So the way the bullseye framework is this. You sit down with the 19 traction channels. These are potential channels for you to get your first 100 customers. And you identify what, say, three to five have the highest potential for you. You ask yourself, what is the expected cost to acquire a customer through that channel? How many customers might you expect to acquire at that cost before saturation? So in the portable bar industry, Ian, we might ask ourselves, you know, how many trade shows could we potentially expect to be meaty, right? You can't just have, it doesn't scale infinitely. Not each channel will just scale infinitely. The same thing you see with PPC. There are diminishing returns. And I think very importantly, what is the time frame needed to run the tests on these channels? Ian, let me loop back to the beginning of the episode where we talked about how critical sales are to entrepreneurial success. Guys like me and you, we could probably go out 
and make a living starting tomorrow precisely because of this skill set. And there's two elements, really. It's pretty simple. The first element is finding a product that you believe in. And in Ben's case, he's built it. So obviously he believes in it. A lot of people in our community do it because they have a skill set they believe in. I'm a copywriter. I can sell that. Me and you, we might be able to just go out and find a product on the marketplace that we believe in. We'll sell that. But this is where it separates the amateurs from the professionals, is systematizing the approach to finding customers and essentially breaking the value proposition. we got to figure out as soon as possible whether or not this thing is going to fly. And I think that that's what separates. You know, most people just lumber along. It's like, hey, I'll make a sale when I can. But I think the pros, they systematize it. And if you look in Gabriel's book, he's got a brilliant graph of how Noah Kagan did this with Mint.com. The book's worth picking up for checking out. I'll post a screenshot of Noah Kagan's spreadsheet of how he approaches. And Noah Kagan's the pro, right? Approaching this systematically, not like waking up in the morning like, oh, I think I want to make some sales calls today. Yeah. So the thing about systems, Dan, I think is in terms of new product, you've got to figure out if you're going to basically pass or fail as soon as possible. And I think what a lot of people do is they kind of wait around in this area where they're kind of not failing, but they're not succeeding. And a lot of times it's because they don't have these systems in place. So it's like if you can systematically approach this with these ideas that we're talking about, you can know if this new plugin is going to be a success. And I think that's the reason why people have these plugins and they make a couple sales you know, a month and it goes on for five years and they couldn't really figure out if it was success or not. Meanwhile, there's a bunch of people out there, maybe it's through advertising, maybe it's through SEO, whatever it might be, that need this product, that want this product, but you never get to figure it out because you haven't systematically, like you said, approach these different market segments. Absolutely. And I'm thinking of people who are already moving in this direction in general. Of course, you know, talk to David Hehenberger from Fat Cat Apps about how he's making sales off of the WordPress plugin directory. You know, if we haven't made phone calls to the people at WP Engine yet or are talking to their brand ambassadors, obviously they're going to be interested in this. People are already moving in that direction. I'm looking for traction channels that I can piggyback people that are already moving. So I'm looking for web development firms, right? People that are moving sites all day long that could utilize your plugin. So people that are already moving their feet, getting in their face and trying to figure out. I mean, I think the biggest thing has been, this is a beautiful product. You've obviously put a lot of heart and soul and energy into it. Don't be scared to break the thing. You know, if people aren't buying it for the price that you have listed right now, maybe you got to triple the price to make it work. Or maybe you got to make that price down to zero and the real product you're going to sell is a lead gen tool. The product you're going to sell is a premium add-on to it or a multi-thousand dollar consultative moving service on top of it. I think the idea, Dan, of don't being afraid to break it is a really good one. So it's like this idea that you are going to run out of good ideas one day. And I think that that idea is completely bullshit. I think if you're an entrepreneur, I think if your head is in the right place, you will never run out of good ideas because the market is constantly giving them to you. I mean, that's where good ideas come from for the most part is the market. So don't be afraid to break this thing. Like you said, Dan, if it doesn't work at this price point, increase the price. If it doesn't work, period, pivot into something else, right? And that's what Ben has already done the first time he had Internet Moving Co. and now he's got this plugin. So he's already pivoted one time. You might have to pivot three more times to be able to see if this thing is going to work. You know, I'm seeing a lot of problem with products that are priced in the middle for upstart companies. You know, if you've got a product that's anywhere from, say, $1 to $150, 
it's often the case that you either need to triple or more increase the price or get rid of the price altogether. Your product is really just marketing. I'm seeing a lot of that. So if you're curious about that concept, you know, if you have a $30 ebook that isn't moving, it might make sense to make that price point zero and then to go for a 10 true clients business model. And we'll link to that description in this show notes as well. Final thought here, Dan, on, you know, these mini pivots within what you perceive as your new customer database, right? So it's like, okay, uh, SEO, PPC, relationships, piggybacking, JVs, all this stuff, right? One thing that I can see in the portable bar company, Dan, that we know is successful because we've done a couple and we've got other market intelligence out there is creating alliances internationally for that product. That product is going to be big international. But we're having problems connecting with the right distributors. Basically, the way it works for us is somebody has to buy full container loads of our product, ship it over to Europe, and then distribute it. We're having a hard time identifying who those people are, although we know it will be massively lucrative once we can do that. You know, if our whole business hinged on that model, we would be screwed because I don't know how to do that, right? And it's going to take me some time to form those alliances. So if you have a product in... That's your only path to revenue, and luckily for us, it isn't. Then you're screwed, so don't start that product. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough advice to give because, you know, if you don't have customers, like, those potential channels are always going to be opaque to you. I think my advice here is start with the channels that aren't opaque, right? And if all the channels are opaque, well, then you got to get some edumacation, right? But I don't think that that's the case for Ben. I think that he does have some clear paths to success. So start with those for sure. And then just don't make sure, I guess, that your business relies on those opaque channels. Well, best of luck, Ben. Appreciate all the support you've given us over the years. I'll email you some of the things we mentioned in this show as well. All right, Ian, Matthew Paulson writes to us, how do you guys maximize the benefits of attending live events? And how do you decide which live events to go to? Well, first off, let me just say that if you are going to an event for the straight up hustle, it's worth checking out last week's episode 260, where we link to Taylor Pearson's epic post where he talks about how they went into a trade show situation and completely maximized the experience. I mean, not only really put us into business in a big way, introduced our company to the industry, but got insights from important people in the industry that we would have never have gotten otherwise and produced a bunch of great content for our marketing initiatives as well. So I think that, that checking out that link is pretty critical. So Matt showed up to our event last week here in Austin, all the way from South Dakota. Matt, good to meet you. Yeah. Been a fan of yours. And I know Dan's been a super fan of yours online for about five years. Yeah. And we'll link up to Matt's new book as well on this post. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Matt did a, a couple clever things when he showed up to the event. He DM'd me on Twitter and then I DM'd him back and then I got his phone number and then we met for dinner. I think that that's one way that you can get a lot of value out of these conferences is to create kind of these side alliances or to seek out people that you know that you want to meet and arrange to meet them outside of the conference for a little private time. Yeah, some people call this the hallway track, boss man, which is to say that a lot of the best stuff that happens at conferences isn't really like listening to the speakers or whatever. It's just kind of connecting with the people that you see there. And one of the things that Taylor t mentioned to me about his conference approach is to be happy with meeting like one to three people. 
a lot of times, like especially at DC events, it's about meeting friends, like people that are going to have like sort of long term potential in your life and business. And so you might not need to like touch base with 30 different people. It might be cool enough to say, hey, this I'm resonating with this person and just chill, just hang with that person. Like so you know, changing your expectations of because we go to a trade show and it's about scanning like 150 QR codes and following up. So, you know, in terms of a networking conference, it might be the case that you only meet one or three people. I think you're right, Dan, in terms of one to three people. And that's really important, but it's so hard for people to do, right? Because a lot of times these things are like really expensive and you go there and you feel like you got to get the maximum value, but it's not always clear how to get the maximum value. But I think you're absolutely right. If you can meet one to three people, that you talk to for the next several years, maybe that you start a mastermind with, just think about the cost of that. If the conference ticket is $1,000 or whatever, it takes you $1,000 to get there, generally you can 10X that. And that's the kind of thing that I look at is like, can I 10X the cost of what I spent there? And most conferences that I've been to, I've formed alliances with one or two people and I've easily made that money back. Let me, let me give three pieces of advice that I think that will work really well. Number one, I would print up custom business cards that have a call to action on them with the contact. That's going to work, right? If you say something interesting to people and say, like, I'm the PPC person, here's my email address, like, on a card, that'll work. Number two, speak at the event. I mean, this is tough advice to give, but without question, the people that get the most benefit out of an event are the ones speaking at it. So if you can find your way to speak anyway, go for that. If you can't speak, not all hope's lost, you can unconference. You can throw an event at the event. This has been done really well by people who attend DCBKK. Andrew Darian did it. He threw a e-commerce fuel event at our event. And it was really simple to do. You don't have to have it be you know, under your brand or whatever. You can just say, hey, my name's Dan. I'm into sales consulting. I would love to meet other people that are interested in that topic. So I'm going to be at you know, Giuliani's Italian Spaghetteria at this time. <laughs> Anybody that's into sales consulting, come over to my meetup. And we're going to talk about it. And you know, a lot of people are going to come in there that could be potential partners or leads or just friends. Yeah, and I think I've seen this happen a lot because a lot of times the organizers, not us, Dan, of course, we're actually working to do this, but have structured events outside of the main conference, right? And so a lot of them don't have structured events. And so a lot of them these days I see they, they welcome that kind of thing, right? So nobody wants to sit in the hotel room by themselves. So if you're throwing a little e-commerce event, maybe a dinnertime thing, a lot of times the people that are running the conference will actually help you promote that. Because it creates unity and a lot of fun at your conference. Absolutely. All right. Jared writes, how about an update on your strategic operating document? Any changes in your system? So, Ian, probably our most cited episode is episode 134, which is due for an update. But I'm curious, what changes have you made to those documents in the past few months. When we had the DC event at Austin here, we did a little impromptu mini presentation on our sod and we only got so many layers deep. People were asking, can you go a little deeper in there? And it's like, no, there's some pretty confidential information. But Dan, I think what we should do eventually is we should just make one of these things that goes 20 layers deep like ours do so people can actually see it. And don't hold me to that promise, but I feel like that would be really helpful for people. I got a blog post about this that you probably didn't read. I'll link to it. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you link to that for me? Yeah. 
So anyways, I think the biggest thing that I've changed in our SOD is not really a structure in the SOD, but a change in the process. So what I do is I have individual calls with all of our kind of department heads, if you call them that. So I have uh, sales, I have design, and I have operations, and I also have marketing. Marketing once a week, everybody else twice a week, I get on a phone call with them for uh, half an hour to an hour. And I have dedicated pages in my SOD where we basically hold the conversation that we're going to have on the phone on the sod. So what that looks like is at discuss sign and then underneath it talking points. So the idea here is twofold. One is to give an outline for our call. And the second thing this does is it gets the information out of the email. I'm trying to get away, Dan, I don't know if you're trying to do this, but I'm trying to get away from email as much as possible. So it gets those conversations out of email and onto our sod for our phone call. Because what I'll find, Dan, is that I can bang through a problem much faster on the phone than I can an email. I don't want yeah. a 10 back and forth thread thing. Like I just want to talk about it on the call. Well, there's another thing that you mentioned that was inspiring to me is that you're getting rid of team calls. And so the process, instead of doing Tuesday individuals and Friday team, you do Tuesday individuals, Friday individuals, and then you have the team members coordinate between themselves. This seems to me has a lot of potential to be more productive. I haven't been on many team calls, including our own, with more than three people that have been super productive. It's always hard to have a conversation with more than a couple people. And so, yeah, what I do is basically talk one-on-one and then everybody else can talk one-on-one, right? And I find that that's kind of the most effective for what we're doing now. And maybe that just has to do also, Dan, with my management style. I'd be interested to hear if anybody has productive team calls with more than three or four people because I really haven't had any. Patrick writes us, Dan, did visiting Austin and NYC make you miss the States or think about moving back? You know, this is a question that I'm kind of obsessed with because kind of, I've been living outside of the United States basically full time since 2009. I love this topic of conversation, so I could go on forever about it. But I do have an update to the way I feel about it because, you know, at the beginning, when you have a feeling, you try to rationalize it always. And, you know, as time goes on, I just feel more comfortable in, in you know, the feeling that's like I'm not living abroad because it's like this cost versus that cost or this opportunity versus that opportunity. I mean, the truth is, is I just like it, you know, (laughs) it's like why we do a lot of things. I just enjoy it. There's one thing that Taylor said that I thought was really interesting because, you know, he was living in Austin versus Saigon. And he said there's a feeling of possibility that he feels when he lives in a developing economy. And it's really tough to quantify in things like cost of living or convenience or access to cafes or things like that. There really is this sense that like no one really knows what's going to happen tomorrow and like everybody's kind of collectively embracing that. And that's a feeling that I get less of in a developed economy like the U.S. where you're constantly explaining to people, you know, what it is you're doing and why it's a good idea and and stuff like that. There's another thing, you know, which, which I think is interesting talking to the NYC crew a lot of whom are, you know, back for the summer and are going abroad for the wintertime. One of the things that they said that they miss is the uniqueness of the expat hub experience. In New York City and cities in the U.S., you kind of have to coordinate a little bit when you're running into people, whereas in these hubs like Saigon, Chiang Mai, you're sort of bumping into people. That's something that they miss. I don't know, boss man. I think you have a little bit of that in Austin as well. Yeah, for sure. I think I haven't had time to participate yet, but yeah, it's definitely going on here. I feel like Austin is a unique town 
and that people are much more accessible. Like what you were talking about before is like when you're in Saigon, it's like, hey, you want to meet up for lunch? It's like, yeah, how about 20 minutes from now? Most cities in the United States, it's like, well, how about three weeks from now, next Friday or whatever? But Austin is uh, unique like that in that people are, are much more accessible. You know, I got some thoughts on this too, Dan. I'm sitting here looking out my window at Austin. It's morning rush hour, so I see all these cars going by, you know, people going to work, I would assume. I feel like at this point, wherever I live, I feel like I'm kind of on this layer. Not a lot of people are on that layer. You know, it's like this entrepreneurial, make my own schedule kind of layer. So, you know, I think being in the States right now, for me, it's like I almost feel like it's that same layer as being in Asia. Like I'm doing something different than 95% of the people. So I don't really have to participate in rush hour. I don't participate in a lot of the same conversations. It's just you're on a different wavelength, you know, for better or worse. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying to you is like I think it's possible because I kind of feel like that now to feel like a foreigner in your own country in a lot of ways. Does that make sense? Yeah, I was sort of staring at you like a foreigner the other day. It was like 10 a.m. in the morning and you were buying like a new power steering pump at Fet Boys or whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a guy who runs a pretty sizable company here. And that's what he's doing. 10 a.m. on this Tuesday morning. I, I kind of like there's still part of me that gets pumped about that. You know, <laughs> the part of me that used to sit in cubicles full time, I think is excited about that possibility that you've created these external systems that run without you. And if you want to go to Pep Boys, more power to you, man. That's what we're looking for, more power. More power steering to you, man. Hey, so am I going to move back to the United States? No, not, there's nothing that I really miss. You can get that Old Spice deodorant now in Asia, boss man. That was it for you, right? It's like, what's That was uh, it, yep, yep. I can get the Old Spice. I can get the Glide Floss. <laughs> I got the Glide Floss. I got the cancer-producing underarm deodorant. I'm good to go. So Will asks, my family owns a 76-year-old manufacturing company, Amazon contacted me today asking if they could buy our products or resell them. I already sell a lot on Amazon, but with this new deal, Amazon would buy the products from me at a decent price and we would not have to pay picking, packing, and advertising that I currently do when I sell directly on Amazon. So Will currently has 1,500 SKUs on Amazon with about a 100 of those SKUs from his family's company. So he asked us if we do our valet stands or our cat furniture on Amazon and would we go directly or would we manage it ourselves? So boss man, first off, do we sell on Amazon? And let us know what's going on with the situation. Why is Amazon contacting Will? Yeah, we do sell a little bit on Amazon. Mostly it's for ranking. So we found uh, that Amazon ranks pretty well in the Google algorithm. So we've got a couple of our products on there just so we have a be everywhere kind of approach. Okay, so the reason, Will, and I've heard about this through people. So all this information might not be 100% accurate, but this is what I've heard. Basically, Amazon will go out to the interwebs and they will find people that they think are successful with their products and they will try and do this. They will try and get them into the Amazon fold. Dun, 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 dun. I don't know if they buy product only or they try and buy your company or what, but they will contact you like this. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to have your customers become Amazon customers. And that's what you're battling here. So they're like, hey, Will, check it out. No more fees, no more advertising fees, no more packaging fees, blah, blah, blah. Here's the Mai Tai, buddy. We'll do this Just for you. Just set it yeah. and forget it. Just sit back. So the dangerous part here, though, Will, is that they now become Amazon customers. So I think the question you have to ask yourself is, is it worth it to you? But aren't they effectively Amazon customers if you're selling through Amazon anyway? You know what I mean? 
Yeah. I mean, you don't get access to those email addresses when people purchase through Amazon. I believe you do. You have the contact information. You get their mailing address. Correct. And your, their phone number, but you don't get the email address. I believe that's correct, but you can contact them through email, but it's through their system. Hey, can I get your real email address? This is Will. This is Will. <laughs> <laughs> quick favor. Quick favor for you. Well, you could do a lumpy mail. You could send something out to all these customers if you have their addresses. Yeah, or you could also put things in the boxes that you send to them. So if your product comes in a box, that's a good reason to have your product in a box. If you sell through Amazon, is that you can put supplementary information in there. So I think the question you got to ask yourself, Will, is how important is it that you own that information? I think what I would do is I would try and diversify. I think a certain number of people find products on Amazon and then they find them on the interwebs to A, verify that they're a real company and B, maybe they just don't want to buy through Amazon. They want to buy direct because they feel like they're getting some kind of advantage. Maybe it's price or something like that. So I guess I would probably continue to stay diversified. I don't know, Will, if that means for you selling your product directly to Amazon or whatnot, but just stay diversified. Don't let them take all your customers from you. <laughs> all right, boss man. That's all the questions we got this week. Let me ask you a personal question. How are you going to spend the rest of your week? I've got one more call today after you, and then I've got a meeting with Alex today, and I got a couple other meetings. So basically work. What else is new? <laughs> so Alex is helping us with Dynamite Circle. Well, we always get some new things in the pipeline, but I've got some really exciting things. You and I are working with Alex on and so yeah, more work. Yeah, what am I saying? Alex has been working with us for seven months, wrote the Digital Nomad playbook, quite impressive, and edits all the Tropical MBA blog posts. He's a productive dude. I'll probably also get a piece of furniture because I'm sitting in a $10 folding chair from Walmart, so... <laughs> thinking it might be time to upgrade <laughs> which by the way you balked at almost buying three of them it's like 30 bucks i mean getting 30 bucks from the boss man i asked him before we got on the phone call today hey boss man are you gonna get an iphone 6 you want to tell the audience what you said i said no no not right away i mean i think the five is holding up fine i don't see any reason <laughs> to upgrade right away that's how boss man rolls we'd love to hear your questions thoughts this week's episode is at tropicalmba.com slash Getting traction. Bossman and I will be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.